everybody, Scott Burnside back for another morning edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Mixed up the routine a little bit this week. Uh, I think I might have thrown a jinx into the New York Islanders by mixing it up. But uh, anyway, we'll get to that in a moment. But what looked to be like blowout city in the second round, all of a sudden a heaping dose of drama as we have... Now, three Game 6s on the horizon, and that's kind of cool. And to get us started this morning, Arthur Staple, our unparalleled Islanders reporter, joining us this morning. Arthur, let's start with this. I I was looking at it last night. I want to know where you were the last time the New York Islanders took part in an Eastern Conference Final, 1993. Where were you? What were you doing? Uh, I had just finished college, and um, I want to say I watched. Uh, the f- I either watched Game Seven when the David Volek goal, yeah. or Game One against the Canadians from a hotel room in Boston uh, because I was uh, freelancing and doing some Red Sox Yankees coverage. I want to say it was one wow. of my first my first uh, real assignments after college. But uh, yeah, I have no. I mean, other than covering the Islanders for a decade and hearing about it ad nauseum from everybody in <laughs> Islanders land about Dale Hunter and David Volek and all that stuff and meeting and getting to talk to some of the guys that were involved, which is also fun. Um, I have no memory of that run by the Islanders whatsoever. Wow, that's interesting. So I was, because I knew you were going to ask, but I was a, <laughs> I was, what? I, I was working for the Toronto Sun. I was a news guy. I was in the middle of covering a, serial killer couple story in Toronto. And uh, I grew up a Canadians fan, so I remember that uh, that playoff run very vividly. And um, But I don't have any real sort of, I just, I the whole Islander, you know, upsetting of Pittsburgh, all that kind of stuff is just, it was a bit of a blur because I, I was so focused on the Canadians. But I was a news guy covering mayhem, and uh, that's a long time ago. Now I have to ask: Were the couple was the serial killers, or they had been murdered by serial killers? No, they were a couple who. Um, it, 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 a horrific story, obviously. A couple um, kidnapped and and uh, tortured and and ultimately murdered a couple of teenage girls in the Niagara region. Also responsible for the woman in the couple, her sister's death as well, and. Um, yeah, no, it was a terrible. It it it, it was at a time in Canadian history that it was, you know, they were an attractive young couple. He, as it turned out, he was a serial rapist, a guy named Paul oh Bernardo, and um, it really, obviously, terror terrified and captivated the entire nation. And happened right, sort of in a parallel to the O.J. Simpson uh, trial. Uh, when this couple finally did come to trial and there were publication bans in Canada and a lot of discussion about the different court systems and how you could you know how you how you could have a trial of that magnitude while keeping some of that information from the public and american outlets were you reporting information that uh, canadian outlets couldn't it was uh, yeah, very interesting. So I actually wrote a book about it, which I'm sure you can find on some dusty remainder bin now. So here you go. <laughs> well, it's not funny at all, but it's just ironic to me now that you and I are sitting here talking about uh, the Islanders maybe being a win away from the Eastern Conference Final for the first time since then and remembering that you used to actually do this important, serious work, and now you and I are talking. 
just I, just yeah. there's a through line from there to here. Just want to bring it back around. There, it, you're absolutely right. It is, and it's a it's a function of the, the you know the <laughs> that does seem like a million years ago, and and the world was certainly a different place. But you do mention the fact that the Islanders are a win away from <clears throat> their first birth in the Eastern Conference Finals since 1993, and I came achingly close last night, very, very close, um, and it appears that the only way the Flyers can stay away, uh, stay alive in this series is to cough up a lead in the waning moments of the third period and then scramble in and claw their way to an overtime victory, which was the case last night in their 4-3 win. Well, I, I, I'm just wondering what, you, what your sense of this series as it goes back and forth, because the Flyers look to me like a team that is literally hanging on by a thread for a lot of it. Even when they went up 3-1 in the third period, I was like, I don't think this is over yet. Yeah, I, I guess that's the one good takeaway you can have if you're the Islanders or their fans is that uh, the Flyers do not look comfortable, you know, other than some stretches in the offensive zone. Um, they just don't look comfortable with the lead. It's, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with the Islanders for sure and the Islanders, the way that they're playing um, they were not good last night for the most of it, but they obviously have a have a way to summon up that well of uh, their usual grit and determination that they've showed throughout the first couple of series and through several of these games in this series. But um, I'd be worried if I were a Flyers fan or someone in the Flyers room that, hey, we're supposed to be the number one seed in the East, and we took a couple of once a three-goal lead and then a two-goal lead in a game we absolutely had to have and couldn't and looked like Keystone Cops in the last five minutes of regulation. And the Island, the other team didn't have their best player. So that, um, if you're the Islanders, and obviously, you know, there's concerns about Matthew Barzal, but uh, that should give them some some uh, determination as they wake up this morning that they're still very much in control of the series. And if they play the way that they've been capable of playing uh, all throughout this month in the bubble, that uh, they'll probably end up uh, advancing. It, to me, this is going to be the interesting dynamic. And as I mentioned off the top, we're, we're going to have three game sixes now. And, uh, you know, it looked like, given the early returns from playoff bubble hockey, that teams really did struggle when pushed to the wall. It, it just it's been hard for teams to get up off the mat when they're when they're on the, the brink of, of going home. And um, but we have seen three teams come back to to force a game six and i i wonder of the three teams you know that squandered a chance for a better term to close out their series who have to come back now for game six it strikes me that the islanders might be the most sort of steadfast and unflappable and i don't know whether that's just because i'm now transferring what i know to be barry trotz's personality and the personality of the team on to this dynamic, but it does strike me that the Islanders are probably of the three teams the least worried about it. But maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I mean, there's good body of evidence so far. They they were on the you know they went up they won the first two against Florida in the best of five, lost to Game Three, didn't look very good doing it, and then and then choked the life out of the Panthers in Game Four. Did the same against the Capitals. Obviously, being up three zero is different than being up three one. Um, so there is evidence to to bolster your feeling on that, and I and I think the the thing that I've been trying to wrap my brain around with this team is, you know, when you have a team that's not driven by stars, that's very team oriented, that's very uh, you know all of us pulling on the rope oriented, uh, and they can shake off the the mental strain of being away from families and all the things that everybody is going through in the bubble. Um, it sort of seems like 
they you know shift to shift or period to period that that they're just kind of like if we're not focused on on what we need to be doing that's right in front of us we're going to lose it and uh that goes that that goes for them when there's no pandemic and no bubble because this islanders team under barry trotz these last couple years has certainly shown uh if they're not all playing together and it's not they're not their key guys aren't healthy they're not going to be as good um, they're not going to get saved by hot goaltending. They're not going to get saved by a star player. So maybe that attitude that they've kind of Barry Trotz has kind of drilled into them since his first day on the job a couple of years ago has served them better than most teams uh, who don't have that sort of consistency of message uh, from behind the bench. You mentioned Matthew Barzal um, missed the latter part of the. I'm trying to think when that happened, but third period, right? And and all of overtime uh, after taking a stick from Claude Giroux on a follow through. And uh, my understanding, there was no, you know, real kind of update. And of course, in the NHL bubble, there's there's no news. You're not getting a lot of news going forward. Uh, so it does look like it, it, you know, maybe we'll find out more from Barry Trotz today. But uh, Sean Couturier, uh, at, Different player, obviously, but equally important, I would say, to the Philadelphia Flyers. Also missed time towards the end of the game with a lower body injury collision in the, uh, I want to say the flyer zone, but uh, did not return. Um, you know, sort of, is there, to me, Barzal is more important to the Islanders than Couturier's the Flyers, but, you know, Couturier is a sulky trophy favorite, frankly. And I, I wonder when you look at those two guys, it, if they're absent from game six, what that might mean to either of those teams. You know, I, I, I'm going to disagree with you and say that Couturier is more important to what Philly needs to do than Barzal is to the Islanders. The Islanders need to kind of, you know, finish this off however way they can. And, and they're, they're kind of, they're finishing games against Florida and Washington. We're basically get a goal, get a couple of goals and then just chip it out simple stay in your lanes the things that they've been doing very well and Barzal had a good game doing those things but he's not the main driver of those things for the Islanders they they obviously don't want him out for any period of time but if they're going to miss him uh in a game this is probably the kind of game that they'd be okay missing him you know you think you saw when he went out John Gabriel Pajot stepped in and obviously having him in the fold is you know it's hugely important there's always new little wrinkles about how important he is and this is one of them where he can double shift and slide in between Anders Lee and Jordan Everly and you still got a skilled playmaker who's also pretty responsible at the other end of the ice Brock Nelson can pick up increased minutes and they've got some veteran guys that are sitting out that can give them a boost of energy if they need guys like cup winners like Tom Kunakel Andrew Ladd still hasn't played they have Ross Johnston in reserve if they need a little bit more size, but their depth at center now with those two guys, Pajot Nelson and then Casey Sezikis, I think allows them to compensate better for missing a Barzal than Philly will with missing a Couturier because they do have Derek Grant who's playing on the wing who's a pretty good center, but the the drop-off between Philly's top six and their bottom six is a lot bigger, I think, than the Islanders' drop-off. Apparently, you did not get the memo that you would agree unequivocally with whatever <laughs> I said during this podcast. So, uh, but no, I, I I understand. I guess for me, it's you know there is it, it, the offensive production, and yeah, I, I I get where you're coming from. I just think that the Flyers they're going to find have to find a way to generate more offense. Um, 
you know, whatever Alenvigno does, I mean, maybe it's a Morgan Frost. He hasn't played at all in the actual playoffs, but um, Michael Raffle perhaps could come in. Um, it's not good for either team, I suppose. I, I will go that far in in acknowledging that probably you're right, that missing Couturier is not going to be good for the Flyers. Um what else? So if you it, I, when you look around, then you got three game sixes. Um, I was disappointed. I, w- I want to see some game seven action. I I'm not going anywhere, right? It's, I, I don't. All I have to do is travel from my office to my couch. Uh, so I, I'm all for more hockey. Do you do you, what's your gut tell you of the three that remain? Do we see any game sevens? Do these the teams that uh, that are up three two? Do they close it out, or what's what's your gut tell you? I mean, of the three, I would tend to think Colorado is the has the best chance to force a game seven, just because the way they overwhelmed Dallas in the first period of game five tells me that they have still have a lot left in reserve and a lot of, you know, they're such a young team driven by their young guys. Uh, I think those guys don't want to go home. They don't want to do anything but keep going this far. And obviously, everybody feels that way at this point. I think. Um, so if I'm going to rank them in terms of likeliest to see a game seven, I'd put Colorado up at one and then probably probably Philly too, just because I, I feel like Vancouver, you know, had the uh, had the horseshoe stashed everywhere last night to <laughs> to get to get through that. Vegas is just really, really, uh, you know, just a force to be dealt with. So I, it'd be hard to see that. But I could also see Islanders Philly game six being a game kind of like that game that where if Carter Hart doesn't steal it. Then, uh, then Philly's out of luck, and you have to also look at Islanders have scored three goals in you know on on Philly's goalies in every single one of these games. Um, you know, three goals is a lot for the Islanders. It's a lot in the NHL these days, but it's really a lot for the Islanders. When they get to three, they're more likely than not to win. So, um, if they get a couple goals in, you know, on Hart for he's made some fantastic saves uh but he's also let in some some leakers and uh we'll have to see how it you know how it's it's not really how it starts in these games really it's it's kind of how it finishes and if they're tied or within a goal going to the third period i think you have to like the islanders chances going in on thursday yeah if the Islanders do prevail, and next time we chat, we're going to talk about your favorite songs from 1993. That's what I'm. That's what I'm going to be. Uh, I, I want to. We'll circle back to that as we as we use 93 as a touchstone. But you should, in the interim, always be reading Arthur's Islanders coverage for us at the Athletic NYC, and give Arthur a follow at Stape Athletic, and listen to his excellent podcast on the Islanders No Sleep Till Belmont, and. When we come back from this brief break, we're going to chat with a man I used to sit very close to often during my year in Dallas. Daryl Ray will join us to talk what a wacky goaltending playoff season we are seeing. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the perfect package kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. 
The boxer briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported. The waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. You need to try this out for yourself. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. All right, here we go. As promised, we are joined this morning. It's early in Dallas, so a tip of the hat to Daryl Ray, one of the game's finest broadcasters. I was going to say color guys, but you have done play-by-play. You've done color. Daryl, you've done it all. And you and I used to sit, I would say, you know, probably 10 or 12 feet, even before socially distance was a thing. At uh, at American Airlines Center in Dallas, and uh, and of course rinks around the NHL, and you know watching the morning skate, and you sort of get used to like it, you take for granted the the patterns of NHL hockey and being able to see, um, you know, sort of glean what you can from a morning skate. And I wonder, you know, you're calling uh, calling games uh, still remotely, right? Doing radio simulcasts, if I'm not mistaken. You're remote. You're like everyone else. It's like I wonder what's going to happen tonight. And uh, I wonder when you were doing the game the other night, and and all of a sudden it was apparent. That Ben Bishop, who'd earlier in the day been described as, I believe, uh, unfit to play, was the starting goalie. And just what it's like to to sort of prepare when you don't have the normal tools at your disposal. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I miss what you just spoke of. As much as morning skates become laborious and the the need for them seems to have waned a little bit, it's still nice to be basically down at the shop and talking shop yeah. uh and you know swapping observations and and picking up or gleaning little tidbits that you might be able to use that night so in the, in this world uh you know we're we're blind we're, we are literally blind right up until nbc puts their their broadcast on because we we have we have nothing uh you know, we sometimes we can we can uh, sort of purloin uh, a camera that's in the building and try to figure out who's on the ice and and who isn't. And as far as starting goaltenders, and you know how coaches are are crazy with this, and and they seem to think that it's just going to be the greatest tactical uh, secret on planet Earth to not announce their starting goaltender. Uh, you know, we we sit there. We see whoever's walking out first. I mean, we're not stupid, but it's been the same way forever. Whichever goaltender's leading his team out, that that guy's probably <laughs> starting. And uh, we got tipped off that Bishop was probably going to start a few hours before the game. But, I mean, we we had no idea that Francois was also unfit to play on their side, and they were down to Michael Hutchinson. So, uh, you know, it's it's all weird. Uh in so, it's very challenging. In some ways, it's it might even be better though, Scott, because I'm basically analyzing or providing color for what everyone else is seeing anyway uh, on on their television screens. But the issue has been trying to trying to uh, sync up the timing of our our broadcast with television, and it's imperfect. And I 
I really do uh, honor the people that, that try to do it. I don't blame them for not doing it, though, because it can be annoying. Uh, but it's just a it's it's a very strange world. Well, I'm not sure there's any stranger world is or world within a world than this Dallas Colorado series. Yeah. And, and you you've alluded to it. You've got five goaltenders that have seen action in this series, and you know so much at stake, right? I mean, you you know Colorado battles back with Michael Hutchinson in that the third string goaltender in a must win situation. Now we're looking at Game Six this evening. Um, you have to imagine that Anton Hudobin will go back for Dallas, but but who knows? Uh, who and I wonder, knows? as a <laughs> yeah, as a former goalie, when you watch what you know the dynamics of you know whether it's Hutchinson coming in and uh, I. I can't. Was it his first ever NHL yeah. playoff experience? Yeah, well, I think first, it was. And his first start, he mopped up right. uh, the previous night for François. But yeah, that was his first start. It was his first start in a long time. Uh, just this year, I, I don't think he'd had or seen any action uh, since the American Hockey League shut down. I mean, that's a long right. time. Ben Bishop had gone 18 days between starts, and that's a long time. But for Hutchinson. Uh, with everything that was laid on his lap, I, I thought he played fantastic. Well, and it's interesting, and of course, when you have a five goal cushion, <laughs> that, that helps. I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm assuming that helps a little bit. But I mean, you you played for a long time. You watched the game, you know, it, it, for a long time as well. What kind of dynamics go into whether it's Ben Bishop who hadn't played in, uh, you know, closer to three weeks or whatever that actual number is, or a guy like Hutchinson who's, you know probably rightfully never expected he would see anything like this kind of action. What goes into trying to make that step from facing shots at an empty rink in practice uh, to coming in with so much on the line? What goes into that? Well, I would think from Hutchinson's perspective, you know, you're not expect, as you mentioned, you're not expecting to go in and that can be the greatest thing because you don't overthink you, uh, you know, you're sort of parachuting your way in there. Uh, you obviously, you have ability. You wouldn't be there if you didn't. And then you can play on adrenaline. I- I'm really interested to see how it goes tonight because of that. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot of guys get in there and, and play on adrenaline, and then reality can set in after that. And uh, yeah. I'm not saying that can happen. guy can play on a bubble, and it can continue to expand. And uh, all of a sudden, you can't figure out how to beat a guy if you're on the other side. When it seemed very accommodating, the goaltending that François was providing in the in the series. Uh, so that's a you know that's a paradigm shift within within this series. And for for a guy like Ben Bishop, who's obviously been dealing with something physical, he's been unfit. Uh, you know, he this started back with the the little mini camp in the restart and, you know, just trying to get into game timing, uh, you know, for all these guys just jumping in like that, there, there's a, there's a completely different uh, rhythm to a game than there is a practice as, as a goaltender. It, it seems weird to say because your job's pretty straightforward. Stop pucks. It doesn't matter whether it's in a practice, a warm up, a game, but there, there's an intensity. There, there's a speed. Uh, there's a timing issue that is just different. And that's why when you're, when you're playing quite a bit, and I'm sure, you know, Anton Hudobin 
who's sort sort of been the backup uh, or one B, if you will, here for two years, has had to go into these circumstances where you don't play for a couple of weeks, and then you got to catch up to the to the uh, game speed. Uh, it's a little bit like you know when you drive your car onto an interstate. You know, they, like you can't just come on at, at 25 miles an hour like you were on the service road. Like you got to hit the gas, and and you got to you got to flow with traffic and get in there. Well, it's the same thing when you haven't played for a while. It seems like those cars are going 250 miles an hour, and then you get used to it, and then everything seems normal again, and you can get in and out of traffic and get if you need to get right and get off, you can get right and get off. If you need to go fast, you can go into the left lane and and hit the gas. So. Uh, it, it's not an easy thing. Uh, nothing seems normal though, in how this has unfolded in the series, the goaltending's gone between spectacular at times and, and, uh, the major reason why you need five goals to win in this series like every night. I think Jared Bednar said it yesterday. He's like, it's yes. the race to five. And <laughs> that, you don't usually see that in, in the Stanley cup playoffs. Like we're just not used to. Uh, th- this kind of uh, easy offense, if you will. And, and e- even in the series prior to this against Calgary for the Stars, I mean, this is a Stars team that struggled to score two goals and now yeah. is breezily getting their way to, to four and five. And part of that is some confidence on their side. And part, no doubt, is the goaltending not being as sharp as it usually is this time of year on, on the other side. Yeah, well, and well, it's made for compelling watching, and 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 I know it's easy to point your finger at Ben Bisham and say, well, you, you know, you gave up four goals on in less than fourteen minutes of play. Well, that's not very good, but uh, that Stars team did not give him much help in that no, period, no or half period or whatever. But I am fascinated because you're, you're right, like this Stars team, and to me, it's the great. It's been the great lesson of the return to play is that we've seen teams, some teams that didn't deserve to be in the playoffs, certainly, or wouldn't have been in a normal year, who've taken advantage uh, to to come in and, and have young players step forward. I think we saw that with Chicago and Montreal. and uh, But Dallas, for me, is a team that seems to have been able to take advantage of that pause. And as you point out, weren't they weren't very good. They really struggled offensively. It looked like they didn't have a kind of identity. And yet all of a sudden now, guys like Corey Perry, who seemed to be like Corey Perry, I remember in his prime in playoff time in Anaheim. And Joe Pavelski is what we expected he would be, the consummate leader, calm, critical goals, always in the right spot. And you've got some young players, Rope Hintz and Dennis Gurionov and, of course, uh, Miro Haskinen, who seem to be seizing the moment. And I wonder when you watch this team, because you watch them so closely, how how stark is the difference between what you saw leading up to the pause and what we've seen here in Edmonton? Yeah, it's like night and day. I, I mean, if if you if you'd have told me that they could outscore, giving up three and four goals a night in the, I mean, there's there was just no way they they were getting shut out routinely. Uh, I mean, you go sixty nine games where you're averaging two point four goals a game, and you're one of the one of the worst offenses in the league. At the same time, you're one of the best, if not the best, goal suppression team in the league. Uh, and then you you basically just flip that. Uh, is wild. It, it really is. Uh, 
I, I know Rick Bonus really put a, a premium on on uh, you know striding for more offense. They wanted to get the defense more involved. Uh, it, you can do all these things, but it, it practically you're thinking, well, maybe we can eke out a goal a game more here and there. But that's not been the case. I mean, they they score goals in bunches, and the power plays look great. The defense has been has been leading. They they've really leaned in. I mean, Haskinen and Klingberg, uh, Jamie Alexiak's been fantastic. So it, it it's a uh, everything that they they had concocted and in their in their best scenario has happened for them offensively. But at the same time, they've cratered a little bit defensively uh and and because of that you you get what we're witnessing in in the calgary series and now into this series where no lead seems to be safe either way and uh and and a big driving part of the stars offense seems to be that all of a sudden they they have a cycle game they've never really been able to to hang on to pucks in, in the offensive zone and cycle and wear down the other side's defense and then score. Uh, that was never part of their repertoire in the regular season. It was either a guy skated fast up the ice and scored himself, you know, Gary Onoff or Hintz, one of these other guys on the rush, or their power play scored. And that was pretty much it for their offense. So to, to watch them be able to cycle, be able to score on the power play, be able to score on the rush uh, is something that is dreamy, I'm sure, for everybody involved with the Stars because we never saw this coming in the regular season. Yeah, it it has been. It's fun to watch, and I, I'm curious because, and you mentioned um, the the two defenders who are carrying a lot of the load defensively, Haskin and obviously, and and John Klingberg. And it's interesting because I think John Klingberg has been so good, and yet in some ways he's he plays now in the shadow of Haskinen, and I think that's a, a, a credit to Haskinen's potential and what he's done during this playoff year. He's marvelous, and I wonder, I don't know if you sense the same thing, or what it's like now to see, to have two guys like that who can jump over the boards and provide offense at any given moment yeah well it i mean you've you've basically they've they've ridden the the top four defense those those two pairs andre secra and and taylor fadoon have played you know depth spot duty the uh the issue for steven johns has pulled him back out he's been unfit to play since early in the in the calgary series so you, you have a guy on each of those pairings defensively you know, Klingberg and, and Miro Haskinen, who drive offense and, and drive transition. And and Miro is asked to do a lot of the same things that Essel and Dell is asked to do defensively, you know, play against top offensive lines and and uh, kill penalties as well. So uh, this has been a coming out part, party for young Miro Haskinen. He, he's showing the world what we've known. We watch it. He's very subtle. Uh, it, it's subtly spectacular, if you will, with him. And it always seems to be point-driven whenever anybody actually catches up to the brilliance of a young player. And he has points to back it up now, not not just the other stuff. And John Klingberg, I'll, I'll give him all the credit in the world. I, I can't be easy. Like He was the guy. And then Haskinen gets drafted and comes in, and and now John's not fully the guy, and he's had to adjust to that a little bit. They each run a power play unit, 
and both power play units look lethal. And there's a meritocracy that goes on within the the stars as to which group they're going to start with, which group of five is going to get more reps probably when they get power plays. So it's a luxury. I mean, a lot of teams have a guy back there like them, uh, you know, a very mobile, offensively slanted uh, defenseman, and the Stars have two of them. It's uh, well, I I can't wait for tonight. I I'm I'm so I'm pumped for it, and uh, I'm going to take a very brief break, Daryl, and then I want to get some final thoughts from you on Vancouver Vegas. But don't go away. We'll be right back. Daryl, it, it's been great to catch up. And before I let you go, we would be remiss if we did not mention, since we are on, have been on a goaltending theme, I, I wonder if you've been sort of wondering during the day leading up to uh, game uh, five of the Vegas Vancouver series, there was a lot of discussion about whether Jacob Markstrom was going to be able to go or whether the Canucks would go to Thatcher Demko. And, of course, it was Demko who came in, um, first ever playoff start, and he made 42 yeah, saves. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> phenomenal. And I just wonder, you know, as again, as a goaltender, just imagine what that might be like, especially against a team as potent as the as the Golden Knights and and. I guess whether you were surprised by it all or what you thought as you were watching that game unfold. I am always infinitely impressed by young goaltenders that get an opportunity and seize it. Because you've got you got one of two choices, basically, when you get inserted, uh, it, it, whether it be called up from the minors during the regular season and you get a chance to play or you're a backup and you're in the Stanley cup playoffs and the other guy gets hurt or isn't playing well and you get your chance to play. I mean, lots of guys have fallen on their face and I am always just, uh, again, infinitely impressed by that guy that can go in and play his best at that moment and, and seize it. And that, that's what Demko obviously did last night. They had no right winning that game. And, uh, you know, it, it, it just speaks volumes to the, uh, I think the mental toughness more than anything and belief in yourself than it does any anything else. So uh, kudos to him, man. That that was quite a performance. Well, and it goes back to your point. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if, if Demko is the guy now in game six, uh, you know, can you, you know, does the adrenaline keep going? Yeah. Certainly you would hope that the Canucks give him more support, but it is, it's just added to um, what has been an incredibly dramatic uh, series of games in in that Edmonton bubble, so it's been it's been fun to see, and really appreciate your getting up early on a Wednesday morning to chat with us. And I hope we can do it again before this playoff thing runs its course. Any time for you, you know that Scott, and uh, we'll <laughs> we'll find out we'll find out tonight who's starting in goal. We don't know that now, <laughs> and we'll see if the embalming fluid comes out, and that's the end of this, and the stars move on to the Western Conference Final. <laughs> well, good stuff. Well, thanks for hanging out. And you should give Razor a follow on Twitter at Razor5Hole. That's a five with the number. And uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. You should always check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic App. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show's URL, theathletic.com slash two-man advantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. 
And we will be back Thursday morning to unwrap all that has unfolded in the NHL world overnight. So you won't want to miss that. Thank you.